everybody. This is Michelle for Might I Suggest. And today I have a very special guest. His name is Mike Carr. He is the comedy school manager for Inbar Boston, which is where I met him. And he has come back home, the prodigal son, from Florida. And today we are going to talk about three fantastic works. We're going to talk about Picasso La Panagiel. We're going to talk about Guster's Lost and Gone Forever. And we're going to tackle the epic that is Quantum Leap. I hope that you have a wonderful time listening, just like I know that I did when we recorded it. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. For our first thing that we're going to discuss today is Picasso La Panagiel. It is written by Steve Martin and was first performed in 1993. Why did you pick this as your point? This was a play I did in college. Uh, I was mostly doing improv in college. Uh, I was a theater major at UMass Amherst, but I found improv, and I don't think... I, I, I have the distinction of being a theater major who never did a show in his own theater department. Really? I, ne- I, I did one... No, I did one in my freshman year before I started doing improv. Uh, at the in like a small one act, and then I after that everything I did was all improv based. I auditioned for plays, and I was cast in a couple, but the rehearsal schedule I wouldn't. I was like, no, I can't give up Mondays and Thursday nights because those are my rehearsals for improv night. It was so important to me that I was like, I can't give these up. So I, I passed up being I want to say it was Guildenstern and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Oh, I love that play. I know, and I I. I kind of kick myself, but at the same time, I, I have a loyalty, and like, they needed me in the improv troupe because we didn't have many people at that time. So I was like, I, I can't leave. Sorry. I uh, respect that and think you're crazy all at once. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, so this was my junior year of college, and uh, my old roommate Luke. I'm going to change his name to protect his innocence. Oh. Luke. Uh, <laughs> in my head, his name is Duke. Oh, no. His name's totally Luke. I'm not protecting him at oh. all. Because he has no innocence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Luke. Yeah. And now he um, he became the producer of the Theater Guild, which was at UMass, where I went to UMass Amherst. Uh, the Theater Guild was another group that would do just do plays and musicals once a semester. So uh, they weren't associated with the theater department. They were a uh, student organization. Oh, cool. So he became the producer, and they he wanted to do... His goal was to do better plays, and and, and in his own words, he wanted to really solidify the, the quality of the work that they were doing. So, so he came up with... He read Picasso and loved it and pitched it as the play he was doing, and he mentioned it to me. He's like, you should audition because it's a really funny play. And... I read it and was like, this is hilarious. And I auditioned for it and was like, yep, this is the play I want. I'm, I got cast and it was <clears throat> the best play, I, one of the best plays I've ever done, one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had. Yeah, it was just incredible. Uh, I played Gaston, who is the old man in the play, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I am sort of an old man, even though I'm 38. I'm a <laughs> very old man in my life. I have a very get off my lawn attitude. As my wife will say, I'll be saying something and she'll be like, oh, get off my lawn. I'm like, get off my lawn. So actually today is the five-year anniversary of me closing on my house. And the, thank you. Mm-hmm. And the saddest thing about owning my house is that it's not a very busy neighborhood. So nobody's actually on my lawn. So I can't yell it. <sighs> it's my biggest cross to bear. Move. Really. Right, I gotta get out of there. I, I gotta sell that shit. You gotta find a you gotta find a place <laughs> that has a lawn that you can yell at kids. Yeah, 
like when their ball or their frisbee or whatever it is lands on your lawn, you can yeah. be like, get off my lawn! Yeah. Like, that's the dream. Well, now I just say it to grass because I refuse to mow my own lawn. <laughs> Good for and you. it's not the same. No, it doesn't yeah. leave. It actually yeah. just <laughs> cements itself even harder. Yeah, it just, like, it doubles down. It sucks. Yeah, it really does. Um, <laughs> so you play Gaston, mm-hmm. which is the wise old man character. Yeah, wise in quotes. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, um, he, he for for those that haven't read the play, it's 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 a fictional idea that Steve Martin wrote, and if you should all everyone knows who Steve Martin is, I assume, but uh, I think Steve Martin kind of people don't realize that he's a playwright and an author who writes really intellectually witty stuff. Yeah, the him as an actor that like we all think of immediately when we think of Steve Martin is not the playwright Steve. No, Martin. he's a very different person, and. He is so smart and thoughtful in his writing, and he's one of my favorite playwrights, contemporary at least. Yeah, his stuff is, is incredible. Uh, the Zigzag Woman is really funny. Um, uh, he wrote a he he I can't remember the play that he translated, but it was The Underpants, and the play starts with a <laughs> monologue about a man yelling at his wife because when the king was coming down the street, her underpants fell down. And now he's upset that he's going to be the man who is known as the wife who had no underwear on when the king walked by. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a translation from an old play, but like it has the Steve Martin twist on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his writing is very different than what we know because you know when I think when people think of Steve Martin, they think of they think of SNL. Uh, yeah. They think or the jerk or the jerk yeah. or which, which is also something he, that he wrote. Right. Um, but it's not that people don't see it necessarily in that the the way his plays are written, where they're just a very sometimes absurdist but also really really smart like mm-hmm. uh and picasso is like that it's a it's a what if pablo picasso and albert einstein met in a bar in 1905 or 1903 or something i can't remember yeah. the exact year but 1904 what, 1904 i was in i, yeah. I got around it yes <laughs> so yeah what if they had met in a bar in paris uh at that time and the characters in the play are all just really well written and really fun characters there's uh, Freddie is the the bartender who owns the bar, who is sort of the straight man for the whole piece. He's mm-hmm. the one who is he's the everyman. He's in the middle of the situation, dealing with everything. He has his girlfriend, uh, Jermaine, who is uh, also sleeping with Picasso, who is dreaming of better life. Uh, and then, of course, Einstein and Picasso are the are Einstein and Picasso. Yeah. But uh, Gaston is the old man. He's kind of Norm of the Picasso, the Lapanagi. I guess you could think of it as. <laughs> Because uh, the place starts. That's lovely. <laughs> that's yes. who he is. Yeah, he's there every night. Like Gaston. Yeah, he's there every night. He comes in and he sits down and he drinks and he, even at the beginning of the play, he waxes about how why why does anything different ever happen? Yes. And then then it all happens. You know, then then Einstein comes in, in one of my favorite gags of the play, and it's it is when Einstein comes in, and Freddie notices that he's not supposed to be there yet, and he says you you're not you're third, and Einstein's like no I'm not. He's like no no you're third in. Uh, you're not you're not supposed to be here yet. You came yeah. in early in order of appearance in the program. Yes. And he goes out to the audience and grabs a program and says, "See right here, you're not you're you're not third. So Einstein ends up leaving and then coming back in. Yeah, in in a very funny, funny funny way just to kind of make the character yeah. blow up. But uh, that se- that that section reminds me of um uh in Blazing Saddles where they like <laughs> break the fourth wall mm-hmm. and talk directly to yeah. you and they are like wait what's my line and like they grab a script and they're like wait what happens oh my gosh yeah. it's very yes. funny um and when we were working on the play like as as I read Gaston like I read him as an older man who longs for the time that he was younger but he's also a little bitter about the fact that he doesn't have it 
So like there was a bit of anger in my version, not like fury, but like he was he was a little bit get off my lawn. Yeah. Any other production I've seen of it, he hasn't been. And no, but there has to be because it's written in the script that there's like a, a a little bitterness. Yeah. With his nostalgia. Yeah, there really is, and and every time I've seen it since then, I get angry when I wa- I get very old guest on when I'm watching it because I'm like <laughs> like there the, I'm watching choices and I'm like no. D- yeah, son wouldn't be smiling at this point. He would be angry. Like he also has to pee the entire play. Like every oh my every, gosh, he pees so much. Yeah, every few pages he says, "I have to pee," and he gets up and leaves to go yeah. pee. And um, do that. You, do you think he just has a coke habit? <laughs> I think. And he just excuses himself to coke up be. in a it bathroom. It could be. It could be at the time. At the yeah. time, very, very yeah. big. Lots of pixie dust problems. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, when we did the show, um, it was a group of other improvi- mostly improvisers who were cast in the show so mm-hmm. uh, my very good friend Andy played Fred Freddie the bartender and he made it a made it his mission to get me to drink as much liquid as possible during the show <laughs> because I as Gaston as the bar fly I was like well I'll just drink all the time so whenever I put my uh, my cup down he would top it off no matter what and then as the show went on he would give me a bottle at the end of the show that I would take for the final toast and I would always make it a point to be like, I'm going to down whatever's in the bottle. Usually it was raspberry ginger ale. On the closing night of the show, Andy replaced it with tomato juice. Oh, no. And didn't tell me because it was in a bottle that I couldn't see. It was a kind of an opaque kind of bottle, so I couldn't really see through it. And I put it up to my lips and started chugging. I was like, Ugh. and I think as the lights were going down, I was like, fuck you. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was right next to me. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um our pro- that was one of the productions, and I think this might be one of the reasons I love this piece so much, is it's alive in a way that I think theater should always be alive. Yes. Because, um, you know, in improv, we talk about the moments. So, like, every moment is important, so you have to be paying attention. Mm-hmm. And in plays, like, it's still important, but a lot of everything is scripted, you know. Yes. And, and some plays are very rigidly directed where right. you react this way at this point, which I think is important. But um, in this play, we we as a cast sort of found we found new moments every night. Like... Maybe a little self-indulgent because we were college kids, but yeah. but the lesson was theater is alive and it should be alive. Like yes. it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be rote every night. We should have a little bit of fun and discovering the moments. Like a couple things specifically come to mind. Like one gag that we had that we found organically through the rehearsal process was, and I've never seen anyone else do this. I get up to go to the bathroom at one point, and. Andy, who was playing Freddie, would come down and sit in. My, he would come out and sit in my stool while I was in the bathroom on this one particular part every night. So I, one night, I came back and just decided to go behind the bar because he took my spot. So <laughs> I, I should take. take his. I should take yes. his. So I went behind the bar, and at one point, I look over, and he's he's in my posture because like my Gaston posture was a little slumped over, yeah. leaning on the bar, um, and he was sitting that way. So I was like, okay, I'm going to stand like him. So then the next night, he did it again, but then this time he delivered his line a little bit the way that I spoke. And this was <laughs> during the audience run of the performance run of the show, yes. so things are changing a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do that for you. So by the end of the run, he had become Gaston, and I had become Freddie for these one part. And on the final night of the show, we did it, and we looked at each other, and we scrambled back to our spots and just took our positions again. And it was this, it was this really fun, organic moment yeah. that w- we wouldn't have been open to if if we weren't just paying attention to each other. Yes. And I think a lot of theater, I, I love theater that is paying attention to itself yes. and, and, and finding those fun moments. There was a lot of things like that in our production that were very, I mean, 
definitely self-indulgent when you look back, but also very, very awake um, and very fun. Well, and one of the things that I love about this show myself, because I also first came to it when I was in college, Mm -hmm. and I saw it as an audience member. Friends of mine had done a production of it, and it is exciting and it's a it's just a really fun loving show yeah and much in the same way when i go see a live band perform i want to see them enjoying themselves like it's one of the reasons that lizzo is my favorite current performer mm-hmm. because <laughs> you see how much she loves her work and so it makes it so much more enjoyable to watch and when this production is done with the same vibe as it as it's written on the page, mm-hmm. it means so much to me to see people loving and enjoying this play as they are performing it. Even. Oh, yeah. In a way that most plays, I think, don't. Yeah, um, it's hard to to fall in love with Chekhov when you're doing it every night of the week, you know? Yeah. Um, I I did Three Sisters and. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I enjoyed it, but every night was it was a slog because it's so heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, at least depending on depending on your angle, some people think Chekhov is comedy, um, and I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems pretty <laughs> depressing to me. But yeah, the way Picasso is written is like you know there are heavy moments, but then they segue into light moments that are so out of left field. Like there's a whole segment about a joke about a pie being shaped a certain as a, as a letter of the alphabet and and Einstein goes on a monologue about why each letter doesn't work yeah it has to be yeah. the one letter it's yeah. the one letter it has to be this letter and why I think it's an E shaped pie not E E, is, e shape is why he doesn't want um, no, is it D? it might be a D shaped pie yeah but he, yeah he's going through all the letters and he just keeps going on and on and at one point, he makes a comment about something called an icebox laugh. And someone's like, what's an icebox laugh? He's like, that's when you're at your icebox late at night and you laugh about something you heard earlier in the day. So then later on in the play, Gaston goes to the bathroom. And from the bathroom, I yell, E-shaped pie. And I start laughing. Yes. And it's so it's it's, <laughs> one, it's one of those things that the audience gets to take that moment and, and see what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. There were so many little moments in the play that we, that we found through the rehearsal process that just because we were paying attention to the words that were written on the page and saying like this is just really fun stuff like there's a line that one of the characters says to Freddie in a monologue she says we made love again last night and I enjoyed it this time if you're keeping score and Andy and I again because we were at the bar the whole time he he looked up and I slammed the, my hand on the bar and I pointed him and then he grabbed a chalkboard lifted it up and it said good sex bad sex and he <laughs> marked good sex and every night it got a little bigger so like it was it was always just this, this fun thing about being alive but that was all there because Steve Martin wrote those words in the play exactly. and the characters are just they're so interesting and they're so intricate and they all they have flaws and they have they have perfections but they're they're also human beings. He writes really interesting human beings. Yeah, it's just such a fun, fun play. Uh, the character of Freddie, who is a very flawed, the bar owner, while she's off sleeping with Picasso, his girlfriend Germaine, yeah. who's the waitress, sleeping with Picasso because he's the sexy artist. She's also telling him, yeah, but you're not reliable. Like ultimately, she tells him, yeah, you're a great artist, but like, he's reliable. Right. He may not get it all the time, but he's the guy. And she says that to him in a in, I'm paraphrasing, but like she says that to Picasso. And then later on in the play, Freddie says something that really sums up everything. And she turns to Picasso and goes, See what I mean? And it's stuff that like he plants seeds early and pays them off later. 
So you really have to be paying attention and listening. So he check off guns you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Real, check off twice. Look at oh, us. Oh, we so fancy. We classy as fuck. Um, <laughs> Facts. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, my favorite surprise in the play is that Elvis Presley is in it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the play is like... Oh, the play's absurd. Very old. So yeah. if if it's a spoiler now... Yeah, you should have seen it. Yeah, get on our level. Yeah, dude, please. We've been talking um, about Chekhov twice. Yeah, please. Um, there's, uh, quick side note. Yes. I was in a uh, uh, trio of women who were doing an improv show impromptu and we didn't have a team name so we became Chekhov's farts because <laughs> we have been drinking and we talked about how sometimes on stage you have to fart that's and true so you try and hope for a silent but deadly yep. but like sometimes what can you, you do can't help that. so we became Chekhov's farts and uh <laughs> shout out to jenna and smars i love you both so much of course smars was on that of course she was <laughs> and, it, and it was general brian was the other one. Oh, awesome and the three of us literally looked just like laughed so hard in our warm-up i don't necessarily think it was a good show but i don't remember the show at all i remember us warming up and coming up with the name Chekhov's farts and thinking we were delightful that's so yeah uh i'm assuming people know the theory of Chekhov's gun if a gun is introduced it has to go off yeah i love the idea that if a fart is introduced it has to go off yeah. <laughs> someone has to fart in this play it's gonna yeah. be great <laughs> oh i want you need to reunite Chekhov's farts needs to happen again i l- literally I agree. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So Elvis comes in. Elvis comes in. And there's another character that shows up one point named Schmendeman, who is uh, Gaston, again, is sort of a, an observer. And he says, you know, who's the third? Because there's always three. It's a, it's a triptych. It's a, yep. it's, a tr- it's a trilogy. And then this character named Schmendeman bursts in. And Schmendeman is a kind of a charlatan businessman who comes in with all this burst of energy talking about this thing that he built a building material called Schmendemite which is made out of equal parts asbestos kitten paws and radium which is the three (laughs) weirdest things you can build something out of Um, but he's just some of his lines are just like these zany off the wall things uh, one that sticks in my mind is the shortest distance between two points is a foot and a half no pun intended that's the line he says to which Freddie says, "No pun achieved." Uh, just, just said it. No pun achieved. Um, and then gas, but he blows in. Some Schmendeman blows in, does all this stuff, and blows out really fast. And then, the, turns out that the third person in the triangle is is Elvis Presley, because he comes in because he the the idea is that he's Einst- never named. He's never named. He's, he's called, called the, visitor. the visitor. He's called the visitor. Uh, but it's Elvis, you know, because he has the pompadour and the sideburns. Uh, he's a country boy. It's very early in his career, um, and. The point being, like, Einstein and Picasso at first don't like each other, but then they realize that they are both looking at the same thing but from different angles. Uh, They're looking at the beauty of the world and the beauty of life. Einstein sees it from the scientific side, but Picasso only sees it from the artistic side. So, But they realize it's really the same thing. They see the same beauty. And then Elvis comes in and he sees it in music. Uh, So it's really great. Like, it's this beautiful, poignant way that these three characters come together and then how everyone else fits into that world. Uh, And, you know, they end with a toast at the end. And the final line of the play is, isn't it funny how the play uh, started when the lights came up and ended when the lights went down? And that's the that's just Steve Martin's wit. You know, yeah. just, that's how he ends his play. Um, yeah, so it's such a great play. And one of the theories being that Steve Martin is all of the characters is one of my favorite theories. Have you ever read that? No, I love that. There's a theory that, like... Uh, he slept with Picasso? He slept with Picasso. Uh, yeah, he and Picasso <laughs> were fucking... Uh, <laughs> No, that like he is. He is. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I I feel like 
every episode I need to apologize because I aggressively snort laugh sometimes. That's fun. And that's who I am. Yeah, don't don't hide that beauty. Don't hide that. <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. Um, no, there's a theory that like uh, Steve Martin is Freddy. He is Gaston. He is Schmendeman. He's everybody. Yeah. Ex- ex- uh, because like Schmendeman represents Steve Martin when he was doing stand-up. Very like scatterbrained and off the wall. Uh, Schmendeman, uh, um, Freddy represents his more uh, subdued side like with his L.A. story kind of stuff and like kind of characters in that world. Um, so there's that theory that all of these characters are just Steve Martin in different parts of his life. Oh, I don't think it's wonderful. real, but I think someone came up with it, and I'm like, that's beautiful. Oh, but I love that. I do, too. One of my favorite things about art, and one of the things I want, really, the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast is, like, what do people connect to, and what do they draw from things that they find important and powerful? And kind of, like, um, in the same way that uh, every time I've read uh, The Great Gatsby, I've read it through a different lens. And, like, mm-hmm. one of my favorite lenses is talking about um, Nick Carraway as um, an unreliable narrator who is in love with Gatsby Mm -hmm. and, like, is a closeted gay man. Because I love the idea that, like, nothing is said, but given a context of something, we open up so many new avenues for discovery. And I love that idea. Yeah, I do the same thing when I read Picasso. Like, I read it in a different light. Um, The last, like, now that I'm a little older, I read it with more with m- m- more baggage behind my life and i'm yeah. like okay i would i would i see this differently than i used to um being that i've directed now i read it as a director instead of just as an mm-hmm. actor and that's another way of looking at it because yeah. you can see all these fun things you can do from a different perspective but yeah it's such a it, it's a play that it, it brought me really close to a certain group of friends mm-hmm. and it also opened my eyes to what theater really can be um especially because it was the first time that i felt improv and theater cross in a way that was like, oh, this makes sense. These should be together. They shouldn't be separate. I love that so much. Yeah. My only other question for you about this is um, I want to ask you, because one of the through lines in the themes of uh, Picasso upon Agile is where they talk about how creativity and genius kind of meet together. And from Picasso, this takes place uh, a few years before he creates his like major big work, which mm-hmm. I'm going to... I'm not going to even attempt to uh, say the name of it. Uh, It's the 1907 piece about the five women in the brothel. Um, And it's five naked women. And it's like this stunningly beautiful piece. And then, so he's coming, the play comes right before he kind of creates this first major work. And for... Einstein, it comes a year before he puts out his specialized theory of relativity. Mm-hmm. And so they're both on the cusp of like these major watershed moments for their careers. And they're talking about how, and they kind of finally come together because they realize that their, their geniuses are different, but they're both geniuses. And my question for you is, what do you think is... Uh, the genius that uh, of how your life comes out. So what in you do you see as the thing that brings you to sharing with the world your the thing that you think is beautiful and you want to share with everyone? Hmm, that's a really complicated question. I'm not sure I fully understand it. That's fair. I will try again. <laughs> um, so uh, Picasso gives us art mm-hmm. and Elvis gives us music. And um, Einstein gives us theory mm-hmm. and uh, through science and math. What is the thing that you want 
to be the thing that you leave the world with. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. That's a much better way of saying it, by the way, <laughs> than the first time I tried. Yeah, um, that's a really hard question because yeah. there's so many. Like, I, re- I think when I, when I just sit back and I think, what is the thing that I want to do the most that brings me the most joy that when I look mm-hmm. at it and I see beauty – it's 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 an improvised performance ironically like it's it's just being able to get on stage and do something that is so abstract yet so clear mm-hmm. you know i i think that's where and or being able to open people's eyes to that yeah. is something i love to do i love when i hear from students that i've had in the past uh that have said oh i'm i'm still doing this thing that you mentioned in class once yeah. you know because it helps me see an object work or it helps me helps me realize a character and to know that that's they're using that so that's creating an improv beauty moment for someone else mm-hmm. um i really like that i love that that, that answers the question yeah I, it does I think it's so, yeah, great so. wonderful yeah i think that's it yeah for me i think that um mine is my gift that i want to leave the world with is empathy mm. um and the idea of kind of trying to help people and um leave the world a better place emotionally and the ways that i do that though are through theater and Mm -hmm. improv and uh and my teaching and stuff like that so it's a similar end result to yours Mm -hmm. but a different kind of way of coming around to it i think empathy is so important and i think people can ignore it easily yeah. It's so easy to just get angry at someone or get mad about something, but to take a moment and, and put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It makes me happy. Thanks. Uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for talking about Picasso upon a show with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Guster's Lost and Gone Forever. Uh, it came out in 1993, and it was their third studio album. So I am a big Guster fan, and I know you are as well. Did you say 1993? I think it came out no. in 1999, right? It came out in 1999. Okay. Sorry, did I say that wrong? I think you might have said 93, but I think uh, that's when... I've ruined everything. I'm bad at math. No. It came out in 1999. Damn. Also, that's not math. <laughs> uh, and it's their third studio album. Mm-hmm. I think that that's where I got the three. There it is. Anywho, it's a great album. Oh, Let's talk about so it. So good. <laughs> so good. From those beginning notes on on what you wish for all the way to the dark sadness of rainy day. Yeah. I love this album so much. Oh my god. So I first my first question for you right off the bat is why this album out of all of their discography? Mm-hmm. What is it about this album that really speaks to you? This album I it part of it is the time in my life in which I heard it. Yeah. Uh it came out in 1999. I was a freshman in college in 1999. Mm-hmm. So a big part of me was changing. Yep. Um <clears throat> going away to college for the first time and living away from home and finally being my own person. Uh I got to credit my friend my floor mate Tony Lopez from UMass Amherst, John John Adams, 10th floor, 1999-2000. If he's listening, I don't know. I hope he he does. He better be. He might be because it's it's a small world and he might be a part of this, which would be great. (laughs) Um, He was a huge Guster fan and I remember he was a sophomore and I was a freshman and he was just like, oh, listen to this and he put it on one night Um, and I just remember hearing the music and my roommate Luke, uh, who I also have to shout out for, who's also the producer of Picasso. Yeah, whose real name is Duke. Duke, yeah. Yeah. Luke was also a huge Guster (laughs) fan Uh, but Tony and Luke I think of as when I think of Guster, I think of those guys. Yeah. More so Luke. I think I got to go more with Luke. Uh, I said Tony first because he was the image I had in my mind. Yeah. But now I'm thinking back, and Luke was my roommate, and Luke was way more into Guster than Tony was. <laughs> so sorry. I got to take that back. I was remembering things, and then things became clear because it's been a while since I've thought about these things. 
Luke was a huge, more of a huge Guster fan than anything yeah. else. Um, but yeah, he got me into this music, and it just something about it just hit me in a way that I've never been hit before. Like yeah. most of the music I was listening to up to that point was 80s and 90s music because mm-hmm. I, you know, we're high school in the 90s. Yeah, like the Gin Blossoms were. That was our music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Wallflowers. Damn right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oasis. <laughs> All that stuff. Um, you are my Wonder Wall. Yeah. <laughs> Champagne Supernova. Um, so, and that was all more pop and rock and stuff. But Guster was not that. It was so different. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, for some reason, I think it was the song. The first one, I, the first song I remember really loving was the song Either Way. Which is like kind of sad and slow. It's so sad. And yeah, it is, and it's, it's my favorite song on the album. Uh, it is my second favorite song on the album. Ooh. Yeah, uh, my first song, favorite song on the album is "Happier," uh, which comes nice. later on in the album. Yep. Which has a little bit more of a an edge to it, even yep. though someone call it edgy. But um, there was something about like the fact they only played uh, for those albums it was only bongos. Yeah. Like their 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 percussionist was only bongos, and just the music was just beautiful. The harmonies were fun. Yeah. I just really liked the music. And every song had a bit of a different feel to it. Even though it was bongos and guitar, it all had a different energy to it. Yes. So you could listen. I so. could listen to the album straight through. I still do. Yes. I listen to the album straight Same. through, and I'm like, this album is perfect. I love this album from start to finish. And that's actually the mark of um, uh, a band's perfect... Like The way I give a band a perfect score is, can I listen to it from start to finish? Yeah. And not have to skip any songs through. Oh yeah. And this album meets that criteria for me, um, in a way that actually I don't know if any other Guster albums fully do. Uh, yeah, the only yeah, I don't think any others do. Um, yeah. And I love a lot of their music, but this album in particular is really special in that way. Uh, and I yeah. think that there are a few albums that are actually like that. Um, uh, Live Store and Copper actually is the album that created that standard for me. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's actually a great story. So a very attractive man named Jake, uh, who was a few years older than me mm-hmm. in high school, would give me a ride home from school, and I was like, I love him. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had um, an uh, the album Frog Stomper. Oh. And... He had Live Throwing Copper, and we traded CDs, and then he broke my CD. What? Yes, and he was like, he felt very guilty about it. As he should. Correct. And so he he was like, why don't you keep the album I gave you, like, as a replacement? I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. He felt very guilty, and he was cute, so I was like, okay, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll go take a ride home. Um, and so I kept the album and then I f- listened to it. Yeah. And I wanted to like hate listen to it because mm-hmm. I was mad at him because he like took my album. Yeah. Um, and then I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is way better. It's I got, amazing. I got the better album out of this yeah. deal. And it, in hindsight, also gave me this standard of like, is this a great album? Do I have to skip any songs? Yeah. For me, uh, Guster has that with with Lost yep. and Gone Forever. Um, I don't think any of their albums I listen to entirely. I'll uh, keep it together. I'll listen to yep. a lot of the songs. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Goldfly, which was the album just before. Yeah. Like those three albums are, in my opinion, their best three albums. Um, I also really like. I love Parachute as well. Parachute's another one that almost gets there for yep. me. Uh, my favorite of all Guster songs is Mona Lisa, which is on their first mm-hmm. album. And I've never heard them play it live, and that's my my bucket list goal is to hear them play it live because I think it's it's super sad and super beautiful. Yeah, I like sad music. I really love sad music. I do too. Yeah, um, but, but thinking about like when you mentioned live, uh, Green Day is another band that I love that I can listen to start to finish, 
yeah. pretty much all of their albums. Really? Yeah, I love uh, Dookie's. Dookie was the first one of the first CDs that I remember buying, uh-huh. um, and I listened to that start to finish, and loved every second song on it. It's all a little repetitive sometimes, but yeah. it's still really enjoyable music. And American Idiot is still one of my absolute favorite albums. Mm. But like, if if I had to pick, if I had to pick three albums, like if someone's like pick three three full albums that you're going to be stuck on an island with, number three is American Idiot. Number two is Ben Folds' um, "Rock in the Suburbs," mm-hmm. and number one is Guster "Lost and Gone Forever" because that album is it is perfect start to finish. I yeah. just think it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah, That's I, amazing. So many songs in that album I could talk about at length because they're so good. Um, yeah. Four three two one is great because it's kind of like the happy upbeat song. Um, and then there was a movie that uh, my favorite actor of all time is Kevin Klein. Huh. I've, I've been a Kevin Klein fan since I was eight years old. When my dad showed me uh, A Fish Called Wanda, which yeah. I should not have seen when I was eight years old. Probably not. But I did. And I was like, that guy's amazing. I watched amazing. the Godfather movies with my dad when I was eight. Dads dads in the 80s were bless, the best. Bless, bless <laughs> all of their hearts. Yeah. yeah. They're like, I want my kid to like good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so they gave us that. Yeah. Um, so I, I had re- nightmares for a week after the horse head. It's fine. Fair. I, I, my parents also had me watch Nightmare on Elm Street when I was like nine. Terrifying. Oh my gosh. I love it now. But back then, I don't, I don't, I don't fuck with horror movies. Don't. No. It was and so definitely scary. didn't at nine. My, I didn't want to. My mom was like, you're going to watch this. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I was scared shitless. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but my dad would have me watch. He was like, let's watch this movie. And Kevin Klein was in it. And I was like, that guy's amazing. Yeah. So then I would like, I was. I was the third kid. I had two older sisters. So, like, my Friday and Saturday nights when I was in junior high were like, I'm going to ride my bike to the video store and rent movies and watch them. Ugh. That's what I did. I wish so much that video stores still existed. Oh, God, I love the video because store. Because the, the, the pure joy and excitement of going and getting to pick your movie mm-hmm. at the video yeah. store is something that doesn't exist in the world anymore. No, it and doesn't. And it makes me so sad. Yeah. Like, Arguing with my brother about who got to pick the the, the third movie that mm-hmm. we got for like for our family for the weekend yeah. was like my everything. It was such a big deal. Yeah. And like there were some movies that you would watch over and over again. One of ours was Howard the Duck. We <laughs> nice. all bugging loved Howard the Duck, so we would rent Howard the Duck all the time. But yeah, it was so much fun to go to the video store with your family and be like, "What are we gonna watch?" Yeah. Yeah. But um, that would be my, my my weekends in junior high was riding my bike to the video store and I'd pick videos to watch because my sisters were older so they were doing stuff and my parents were like, you can watch a movie in the other room, we don't care. Um, so I would rent Kevin Klein movies because I was like, I love this guy. So I would be like, I'd find movies that he was doing. So he became my favorite actor and I would awesome. watch everything he did. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to I'm in college, it's probably the years 2002 or 2003 mm-hmm. and there's a movie coming out in theaters called Life as a House starring Kevin Klein. And it features two songs by Guster, both from Lost and Gone Forever. Uh, the movie starts with What You Wish For, and then it has Rainy Day at one point during a dark scene with Hayden Christensen, who became young Darth Vader. Yeah. He plays like the moody teenager kid in That's this movie. That's right. Have you seen it? Yes, I it, have. I think it's a great movie. Some people hate it. Some people think it's schmaltzy, but I love it. It is very schmaltzy. I'm in I will between agree. those I will two agree. sentiments. I will agree with everyone. If they say, <laughs> that movie's great, I'll go, yeah. And if they go, that movie sucks, I'll go, yep, because I get it. Um, well, here's the thing. Hayden Christensen, while very handsome, mm-hmm. is not the greatest actor in the no. history of actors. Nope. Um, in fact, I stopped watching the Star Wars movies because of him. Because it's the second one, I think. Oh, in where the, the, his in mom the, dies. Oh, in the second, the second and, trilogy. Yes, and he, um, 
he starts crying, but he like can't cry on cue. Oh, he's terrible. It's the worst like upset dead mom scene I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I am out of here. I went and took like an aggressively long pee. I like, like checked my voicemail from my, like I, and then I like finally came. But the reason, the whole reason I went is Mm -hmm. that my roommate at the time was like head over heels in love with Hayden Christensen, which is why I've seen this movie. Yeah. And I think it's really funny that Hayden Christensen is the reason you didn't get through the original, the new trilogy. Yeah. Like, cause that movie, those movies sucked from top They're to terrible. bottom. They were real bad. And I, but I can, but Hayden Christensen, I can, he tipped the scales for me. Fair. And fair. I, yeah. His performance was he, what really made me No, yeah. that's a hard pass. Thank sure. you. <laughs> Understandable. Understandable. Um, but yeah, that movie came out in theaters. It had two songs by Guster. It had Kevin Klein. Um, ironically, it also had Scott Bakula in it. Who's the star of quantum leap. Which we'll talk about later. Um, <laughs> And the dog in the movie was named Guster. Like, that was the name of the dog. So I was like, this movie was made for me. Like, this movie, like, <laughs> someone said, Mike Carr needs a movie. We're going to make it for him. Uh... And it was that movie. Um, so I went to the theaters by myself on opening night, and I couldn't have been happier. The theater had a few people That's in a it. bold move, and I respect the shit out of I it. I go to movies by myself a lot. I do, too. Not so much anymore since I've been married. Um, or even once yeah. I started dating Julie, but even at the same time, I'm still like, there are movies I want to see that I know she doesn't, and I'm like, I'm a, I'm gonna go to the movies. Yeah. Like if she's busy or out of town, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the movies by myself, because I have a ritual. I get my popcorn, I sit down, it's, it's great. <laughs> I mean, that's not really a ritual. It's more like how what movies people do happen. Yeah, but uh, good for you. <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that album was <laughs> my I, ritual. My ritual is to do what every I other sit human in a being chair does. Chair and I watch a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I see other people doing it. I'm like, stop copying me. <laughs> I knock popcorn out of people's hands. How dare you? Uh, but we're Guster, yeah. Um, yeah, like that album was my walk across campus album. Like yeah. I would walk across campus at UMass and I would have my Discman because it was 1999, 2000-ish, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, before iPods were even in a thing. Yeah. And I would have that disc on. I would listen to that all the time. Yeah. Like I wore that CD out. This CD is very special to me as well. Mm. Um, I love this album a lot um, for a lot of the reasons we've already talked about. I also feel like this is a great time to share my claim to fame, (gasps) which is uh, I met the band Guster. Oh. And I actually went on tour with them for a week. What? Yes. So one year, I'm a teacher, and one year for April vacation, I went on tour with them because from it was New York to New Hampshire and then back to Boston. And um, I was doing um, a nonprofit charity uh, that like had a booth at their shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was called Rock for a Remedy. Shout out to KJ. And um, it was this really wonderful organization that helped uh, raise money for local food banks. So everything we raised from whatever town we were in went to that food bank. Which was really wonderful. That's amazing. It was really great. Uh, I got to meet the Indigo, Indigo Girls this way. They are queens. And <laughs> all of their fans are just like the greatest humans on the planet. But so we, when we went out with Guster, um, it was really wonderful. And they were all so kind. They gave me, um, Adam gave me my first uh, reusable water bottle. Oh. Uh, it was really cute. And then, uh, but my big claim to fame, which... I feel terrible about, um, but I had a I had a crush on a guy who was working um, at a, on another nonprofit mm-hmm. booth, and uh, I had met him the year before. 
because he was on tour with Bare Naked Ladies and Mike Doty, both of bands I love. Yeah. And so we met both doing the show there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and like, we like talked for a while over the phone and stuff. And, uh, I thought he was so cute. And I pretty much, I, uh, I had convinced myself that a roadie or like somebody who went on tour Mm -hmm. with a band was like my dream person. Oh yeah. Because they go away for a while. So I don't have to worry about scheduling like quality time. But then like, because I know when they're coming back, I can like schedule, like be at home for that person time. Good for planning, yeah. Right. I'm like, this is my dream scenario here mm. for any relationship. That's probably not the best thing ever. <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, and then we kind of stopped talking. Um, and uh, it turns out that he actually was a giant tool. But so he was on this tour. And uh, so I oops drank too much at the bar where Chris Noth, Mm-hmm. Mr. Big from Saints in the City. You mentioned this before. Yep. This is the same world? Yes. Oh. We were we grabbed a drink after the show in New York City. Chris Noth was there. He talked into my boobs. And then um, <laughs> we got on the tour bus and like headed out. And we were having a dance party in the back of the tour bus as we were starting to drive out of New York. And the guy I had a crush on and... Um, one, uh, two of the guys from Guster were sitting up the front having a talk. Um, I don't know about what, mm-hmm. but I was like dancing in the back of the bus with everybody. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to vomit. And so I was like, I got to pee. And I like, <laughs> like casually tried to like stumble to the bathroom. But on tour buses, you're like not supposed to like flush toilet paper. You're not supposed yeah. to like poop in it. You're oh. there's so many rules. And so I was trying to like quiet puke into the toilet and then like wipe my face up with toilet paper and then throw the toilet paper in the receptacle yep. and not the and like it was just a lot for my drunk ass to try and process mm-hmm. and try not to be heard by the people directly outside the door oh, having yeah. like a conversation um so it probably did not go well but i was very drunk so it didn't really matter i guess that's me but they were lovely and kind and great they they are <laughs> <laughs> uh th- that makes me happy because um they also uh, i had a friend in high school who passed away from uh Bone marrow. She had uh, mm-hmm. bone marrow cancer, I think, yeah. is what she ended up succumbing to. Um, but they went to her hospital room and they did like a private show for her. Oh, that's Because they knew that she was a fan. Like, yeah. So they're all, in addition to creating great music, they're good people. Yes. And they always came across as good people. Mm-hmm. And that's that's important to me sometimes too when I'm looking at artists that I'm going to support. Yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I've always noticed Kevin Klein's a good dude. I, th- I think yeah. so. At least that's the public face. And if I get my heart broken, I'll be real sad. Dear listeners, don't burst my Don't bubble. do it. I'll be so sad. <laughs> so do you, so either is either way your favorite song on the album? Or uh, happier. The Barrel of the Gun? Oh, Happier, happier is my favorite song on mm-hmm. the album. Yeah, I love Happier so much. Um, and then either way is my second favorite song on the album. Yeah. And then after that, like they, they, like it's easy to say, like, oh, this one, this one, this one, this one. All the songs in yeah. the album are great. Um, even songs that I didn't necessarily like at first um, have grown on me. Yeah. Uh, Rainy Day was one of the ones at first I didn't really like it, but then I'm like, oh no, I dig it because it's got such a different. It starts off with that, like kind of dark. Yeah. Energy to it, and I ended up really liking that song too. So, yeah, you can't go wrong. You just can't go wrong with that album. Yeah, the whole album is really beautifully put together, mm-hmm. and each album song feels like. It's its own entity, but also it is a part of this album. It, yeah, it, it, it flows yeah. beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like every song, 
I couldn't imagine hearing one of those songs followed by the song that's not next on the album. Like, yes. like if I heard four through two one followed by Happier, I'd be like, nope, that's wrong. You nope. can't listen to this album on shuffle. No, you can't. It has to go straight through. Yes. Yeah, I absolutely um, agree. And I do think that what you wish for may be the perfect opening song for oh, yeah. an album. It is. Uh, those, 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 for you <laughs> listeners out there, it sounded similar to that. In my head, it sounded perfect. No, yeah, you cracked but, it. Yeah, but like that way that that album starts, you're like, yeah, this is how an album starts. Yeah. Even the first words are woke up today. It's like, great, it's the start. Yeah. I did too. Me too. We're the same, <laughs> Guster. Yay. <laughs> Guster, just like us. <laughs> <laughs> Guster, people too. Um, yeah, it's a per- it's a perfect, I just think it's a perfect album. Yeah. Big fan. Yay! Yay! So for our last thing that we're going to discuss today, mm. we Sad. can discuss more another day, Mike. Yay! Uh, we have Quantum Leap. Oh, so best. why is this the show out of all of the shows in the universe that you were like, yes, I need to talk to the people about Quantum Leap? Okay, so Quantum Leap, there's two levels. Personal level... It was a show that I watched with my dad all the time. Mm-hmm. He seems to be the one that introduces me to everything I watch, whether it's appropriate or not. Quantum Leap is very appropriate. Um, <laughs> but he also was like, hey, let's watch A Nightmare on Elm Street when I was like seven. And I was like, yeah. I watched the Godfather trilogy with my dad when I was like seven. Oh, yeah. And uh, I apparently um, cried myself to sleep for a week after I found out that I couldn't become a mafia princess because I'm like aggressively <laughs> Irish and not at all Italian. Yeah, that's that's one of the prerequisites. Yeah, yeah. and turns out like Whitey Bulger like didn't have princesses. Oh, what a jerk. Yeah, I know. But my mom was like, why would you do that? Why would you let her watch that movie? That was, my parents would want, let me watch movies and TV shows that I shouldn't be watching because they, they wanted to watch them and they're like, oh, he's, he's all right. Like, The Exorcist was one that I watched when I was way too young. Holy shit. I don't remember how old I was, but The Exorcist was on that list. Nightmare on Elm Street. What else did we watch? It's a really good thing that you like horror movies. Oh, yeah. I I was afraid of Freddy Krueger for years, but then, like, I turned a corner and was like, oh, he's awesome. And I don't even remember when I turned that corner, but I did. And then... 12 was a big year for me, guys. 12. Coming of age. (laughs) If I ever read a one-person show, it's going to be about how I was 12 years old, and that's when I became a man by not being afraid of Freddy Krueger anymore. (laughs) Um, I'll, I'll watch it. Thanks. It's going to be a good show. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of dancing. Uh, in Quant- <laughs> um, I hope it's a lot of slow dancing with you and Freddie. Oh, that'd be great. Aw. Yeah. I'm afraid to ask him to dance the whole time, and then it's the last song of the night. <laughs> it's Stairway to Heaven, and I'm like, I'm finally going to ask him to dance. <laughs> the longest song on the planet. It is the longest song on the planet. But that was always the last song of the slow dance when I was going yeah. to school. Hey, you're, you're not wrong. No, it's a great song. <laughs> and it's it was the signal that you're going to get picked up soon and go home. Sorry, I got sidetracked because I got really excited by our parents letting us watch things that really were not appropriate. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. But Quantum Leap is. Oh, super appropriate. Um, so it was something my dad and I would watch. And I just remember watching this show and, and just I loved the concept of it because it's the, if you don't know the concept of Quantum Leap, it's about a, a really brilliant scientist from the future, and the future at the time was 1999 because the show came out in 1988. So he was from the future, he was super smart, and he found a way to go back in time and fix people's lives, like fix things that once went wrong. To put right what once went wrong is like the line from the, the opening. And he was, Scott Bakula was the actor who played Dr. Sam Beckett, yeah, it was. <laughs> he's he's dreamy. He's a dreamy man. Not going to lie. Still is. Yeah, he's still great looking. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, for some reason, though, I just I loved the show because it was 
still episodic, but it was also every episode was in a different place, in a different costume, in a different look, in different characters. So it was always fun for me to watch, A, this from a theatrical and television perspective. You're like, oh, they don't have to worry about having the same set. They can, what, what costumes do we have? Great, let's write a story about this. But also, I liked the... You know, I, I like to think I'm a nice person and that if I could travel through time, that's what I would do. I would help people. And I love that that was the premise of the show, that it was this this very nice person who just helps people. Do you, are you a Doctor Who fan? I am a Doctor Who fan. And well, I then think, that tracks. And yeah, and I think that that's very – yeah, they're very similar. Yeah. Um, we can talk about my, my, my idea of a Doctor Who quantum leap crossover that I think would be amazing. I have thoughts. I have lots. Of, I've written it down. But anyway – that's incredible. Quantum who? Uh, trademark me. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah. I, I what lo- about Dr. Leap? That will be my... Oh, Dr. Leap. That will be my sequel that I write. That'll be amazing. <laughs> it sounds like Dr. Sleep, which is coming out soon. What is, is that another scary movie? It, it is. It's Stephen yeah. King's... Uh, he wrote a book sequel to The Shining, and now it's becoming a movie starring Ewan McGregor. Oh. Well, he's another dream boat. Agreed. I will not be seeing it, however... I will. <laughs> All things are right in the world. <laughs> yeah, everything is right. Um, but yeah, so like I loved, I loved the nice, the genuinely like super nice person. Yeah. And his whole mission was to help people. Like his ultimate mission was to get home because he figured out how to leap through time. It was only in his own lifetime, so it was only spanning the years that he was alive. And he was always trying to get home but could never get there because something other than him or science was leaping him around. Yes. They referred to it as God in the show, but they didn't really lean too heavy into the religion aspect. But it yeah. was like, there's a, there's a, it must be God that's doing this to us. So he would be going from place to place and never quite getting home. But he was always where he needed to be. At least that's how he perceived it. Yes. And I loved that because I, I felt that way a lot in my own life. Is like, mm-hmm. where I am is where I need to be because this is why I'm here at this time is to either help or to be a part of something. So I love that aspect of the show. And I also love that his best friend is the complete opposite of him mm-hmm. who is al who is the hologram that only he can see and hear when he leaps to the time who legitimately was one of my first crushes dean stockwell was <laughs> oh because the cause i love the godfather trilogy he's in the godfather right? he is yes yeah. he is but no specifically al <laughs> i loved him al was yeah he was yeah. I, I like some sass. He's very sassy. And, like, the outfits he was wearing for, what, 1988 <laughs> thought the 1999 fashion would be was yeah. very strange. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was great. But, yeah, like, Sam, Sam was the goody two-shoes. He would never cheat on any cheat on anything. He was always a good person. Whereas Al was still a good person, but he would cheat and, like, showed up. Yeah. He would show up hungover to help yeah. help Sam. And yeah. you're, like, you're like, oh, this, this they're the opposites, but they have the same... I think almost the same soul in a lot of ways that they want to help people. They just go about it different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's why I was drawn to that show. I just always liked it. Awesome. So one of my questions for you, we uh, when we talked about doing this podcast, you sent me some episodes that Mm -hmm. you really love that you wanted me to check out. There was one one or two in season one that Mm -hmm. you really wanted me to check out, and I I watched the pilot. Yep. And then um, there was one... I can't wait any longer. I've been trying to hold out so we could talk about season one, but I need to talk about season two. Yeah. The episode MIA. Oh. It's one of the only episodes that I distinctly remember, like, as an adult before I went back and rewatched any of these episodes. Yeah. And 
it is it still made, it made me cry all over again. It's so well done, and and it gets to the heart of what the show's about in yes. a big way. Should we just dive into this? We're yeah. About it? Yeah. We're doing it. Nice. So <laughs> uh, Sam and Al, for those of you who don't know, Sam and Al's journey, they're leaping through time, uh, trying to put things right that once went wrong, but they have no control over where they go. But Sam, when he created Project Quantum Leap, had certain rules, and the rules were you can't use Quantum Leap for your own personal gain. And it's you, and you have to, you know, stick to the mission that's there. You know, you're helping people. It's not about us. It's about helping people. So yep. they land in this, this yeah, place. You can't gain anything, and yeah. you can't like help like your family get rich on the lottery or anything. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't, you can't mess with time like that. Yeah, in, in a very Back to the Future way. I was just gonna say yeah. in a Marty McFly way. <laughs> yeah, in a Marty McFly way, you can't do that. Um, I just got so excited that I bumped the mic. So sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also love Back to the Future. Oh, that's also great. That's <laughs> I also am really great. very into time travel. Time travel is awesome. It's awesome. I don't think I actually would ever want to do it myself. Oh, I would. Really? I would. I, I would love to go. I would like to go back. <laughs> would you like to go back in time? Back in time. <laughs> I would. <laughs> don't take money. Don't take fame. Uh, <laughs> don't need a credit card to ride this train. train. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yes, I would love to go back in time. But anyway, Sam, uh, his yes. his rule was, you know, that you're not you're not here to do anything for yourself. So he lands in a place where he is leaps leaps into an undercover cop, and all signs point to him being there to save the life of this undercover cop, the the other the other cop, yeah, the, the, guy the cops, he, the, the his partner. His he, partner. He leaps yes. in, and his partner is supposed to die in two days. Right. Like he gets killed on a mission. Um, so Sam's like, I think this is why I'm here. I'm here to pretend, prevent this guy from being yes. murdered. But Al keeps telling him, no, you're here. You have to go over to this beach area. There's a woman who just got a flat tire, and you need to go fix her tire and tell and prevent her from meeting this dude, yes. this guy. So she Sam, can't get married to yeah, this he's guy. Like, he's like, she's going to meet this guy. She's going to marry him, and it's going to be terrible for her, so don't do it. And yes. Sam's like, okay. And it, Al's definitely, when he's saying this, he sounds different than he normally does. Like, yes. Even at the very beginning of the episode, you're like, oh, this is weird. Al mm-hmm. seems agitated, and he never does. Um so Sam goes, and it's like, okay, Al's telling me to do this. He shows up, meets the lady, and also the guy is already there. And Sam's like, okay, I'm preventing this from happening, but they met, so I think I'm done. Yeah. And he keeps going back to try to get on his mission, but Al keeps saying, no, you have to go prevent this them from getting together. This is the mission. And, yes. and Sam is doubting it, and Sam never doubts Al. Al right. He's always like, no, Al, you've never steered me wrong. I don't think this is what I'm here for. And, and Al is again, no, you have to go do this. So Sam keeps doing it and then eventually discovers why Al is sending him this way. So, oh. What he, what he's told at the beginning of the episode is that this woman's husband, she thinks, is dead. Oh, that's right, yeah. And he really is a POW. Yes. And so he's like, he's going to get released and she's going to, like, be... She's going to move on. She's going she's gonna to have moved on and, like, it's not fair to them and their yeah. love. Yeah, so so that's yeah, a part of like the setup that Al gives to Sam, yes. which also is weird because he normally doesn't give that much backstory. Exactly. So so that is all happening. Sam is doubting it. Sam is in her house and he sees a picture of her husband who is an who is a prisoner of war, and it's Al. So this woman is Al's first and really true only true love. Yes. His first wife, mm-hmm. uh, Beth, is her name. Yes. Um. So. Sam now realizes what Al did, and he's like, "You, you're using Quantum Leap to try to 
fix your past. Yeah. Which You've is not broken the rule You've that broken we the rule created. That. It's like there's a great moment where Sam leaves the house and Al is standing there and Al can appear through like the, a door. A door opens behind him and he steps through it and yes. he disappears. Al opens the door and Sam says, If you go through that door, don't even don't ever come back. Like that's how mad he was about it. Mm-hmm. Um and they kind of talk about what's going on and why he's doing this. And eventually the episode ends up with Al telling Sam what he's really there to do. He goes to he goes and saves the life of his partner. Right. And he doesn't tell her. He doesn't tell Beth. Sam does not tell Beth about Al. He doesn't tell her that he's going to be okay. Right. Because he can't. Because that's not what it's there for. Right. But the end episode ends in this beautiful moment of Beth. Oh. Beth, who's met this nice man. And the, the man she meets is a nice man. He's not a bad person. He's a nice man. And, like, it seems like they were all of the time destined to meet. Yeah. They, like. they keep coming. He keeps coming into. They keep into her each world. Other. Yes. Yeah. There was, like, a. Uh, she got invited to a boat dinner or a boat lunch by his mom. By his mom, and then when he she gets there, he's there, and like, oh, this is weird. Yes. Why are we both here? Um, so, but the end of the episode, they're playing Georgia by Ray Charles, which is one of the most beautiful songs. Yes. And Al is there as the hologram, and he's talking to Beth, and she's looking at his picture, and she dances, and he dances with her, but they can't touch because he's a hologram, and it's beautiful and it's sad, and I think like he leans in and gives her a kiss. You know, yes. they have a moment where they kiss. And like it, the, the the screen ends differently than it normally does, like the the way the show ends, and it's really sad. And you're like, oh, that's really very yeah. It was a really it was a really really sad yeah. ending. It was the first time really that Quantum Leap dove into the rules of its own of of its characters, because up to that point, all of the missions had pretty much been standalone episodes, and we knew the thread of Al and Sam. Yes. But we didn't get into like too much about the Project Quantum Leap and their personal lives. Until this one. We knew little things. But this one really set it home. And it was such a beautiful piece. Well, and the way that they shot the dancing scene in the end was really just super beautiful and sad. And, like, they just let it be still. Mm -hmm. And it was just a beautiful song. And then a couple... You know, if you were just to walk by the TV, it was just a couple dancing. Yeah, you wouldn't know. In their living room. And to know that, like, it was hologram al mm-hmm. like essentially saying goodbye to his wife yeah. in a way that he didn't get to have that closure with mm-hmm. because of how his real life was was just really sad and beautiful yeah. and i bawled like a baby yeah al's character uh, was a pow in vietnam and he had been taken hostage and he was released years later but his wife had him legally declared legally dead and then when he came back, she had already moved on. So he right. never got over that. And his his journey in his life was, well, I'm never really going to fall in love again. Right. And he womanized and he was married, I think, four more times. Yes. Uh, and, and that but was, none of them were Beth. No, none of them were Beth. So it was always a through line throughout the rest of the series was Al every now and then would mention a different wife's name because <laughs> like, he would have a new wife. Yes. And, and Sam, Sam never really remembered everything because one of the another way they got away with certain things about sam's life was he had what he called swiss cheese brain every time he leapt um when he would leap he would forget things yes because that just was the effect of it and he liked he preferred that because it prevented him from remembering things he had back home that might prevent him from doing what he needs to do i.e his wife at home which is a whole another episode that comes up later on Mm -hmm. sam is married and he like throughout the series has other he he is with other women and he's you know yeah and he has an episode where he remembers because uh, there's an oh yeah so we're jumping to another episode i don't know if i put this one on the list sam and al switch places um in a very weird way so 
Sam, there's an episode where Sam is in a mental institution, um, and sometimes the leaps get messy, like the minds get crossed, because that's just that's science for TV. Um, <laughs> is it like Ghostbusters crossing the stream? Kinda. Okay. Like so, Sam leapt into a person who had had electroshock therapy. Um, which we know is not good, um, <laughs> yeah. bad. Um, but he leapt in at the moment that it was happening, and lightning struck this like hospital at the same time. So like it screwed up Sam's leap real bad, and like <laughs> part of Sam was gone, but part of like all of the like several previous characters that he leapt into were kind of leaking into the person that he was in the mental. He was in a mental institution, so when Sam is becoming all these people he's leapt into before. To the people in the men's version, oh, he's just sick. But Al's yeah. like, oh no. But nobody's batting an eyelash in the. Yeah, they're like, oh, this is just this is just this dude's mental issue. <laughs> Where Al's like, no, there's something wrong with him, and he's trying to figure out how to fix it. Yeah. So he does with the people back at Project Quantum Leap because they're all monitoring Sam. They just don't have him. Mm-hmm. So they figure out if we can get him to go to electric electroshock therapy at the same do the same voltage will mm-hmm. hit the leap button or whatever, yeah. and it will work. And it did. But when they woke up. Al was now standing there in a military uniform, and Sam was in the same clothes he was just in. And Al tries to walk to Sam through a cannon on like a on a lawn and hits it. And Al usually walks through things, right? And then Sam walks through it, and you're like, and that's where the season three ended there. And everyone's like, <laughs> what the hell's happening? Um, so yeah, that episode, and then that next episode for season four, Sam starts to remember things about his life because he'd forgotten everything. And mm-hmm. that's when you learn that Sam is married, uh, and he has a wife back home. And he is brokenhearted about the stuff he's done and how he's left her. He's like, I've abandoned you. I'm a terrible person. And she's yeah. like, no, you're doing something greater. I'm always with you. You're always with me. You're doing what you feel is right. I'm not going to be mad at you for that. Wait, so does he get to talk to her? He does. Because in the past, like his, he has the hand link, which, is called, uh, which connects to Ziggy. Yeah. Uh, common misconception, uh, the hand link is not Ziggy. Ziggy's a person in 1999. Oh. So whenever Al says, uh, Ziggy says this, yeah. he's not like, it's not like an iPhone. Like, like uh, Siri, tell <laughs> me what Alexa. it is. Yeah, it's not Alexa. Yeah, it's not Alexa. Ziggy's an actual person. So he's using the hand link to talk to Ziggy. And, so it's uh, more like Charlie? Ziggy's not a person. Ziggy's a computer. That's I'm sorry. Ziggy's a computer. Oh, okay. Gushy is a person. <laughs> you just got to watch the show. It's great. It's dated, <laughs> but it's awesome. Um, but yeah, he realizes, oh, if, if Al writes a letter, like a handwritten letter, yep. do not deliver until this day puts it in the mailbox, then the emergency door will open so Sam can get out. So they do that, and that's the first time also that we go back to really see 1999. So Sam is the hologram, then all of a sudden the door opens behind him because the letter, it's literally once they drop it in the mailbox, the door opens. It's one of those cool time travel things. So Sam goes through, he goes back home, and it's the first time he's been home since the show started. And he sees his wife, and he sees everything, and he's deciding if he wants to, you know, he's like, oh, if we can get Al back, then then we're done. We figured it out. But he can't. The only way to get Al back is Al ends up getting knocked out and a whole other story that's going on, um, <laughs> which is fantastic because Al, Al ends up getting knocked out by some coward who didn't go fight in World War II. Al gets knocked out. Sam has to leap into Al to save his life. And then he does it, and they're like, we, are, we think we can get you back, but they can't. So then it goes back to the regular style of the show. But it was a really cool episode where you get to kind of see Sam go home and he has a little bit of a moral crisis about what he's been doing, mm-hmm. but his wife is like, "Nope, you're okay. I'm gonna miss you, and I've missed you, but you're doing, better. you're doing great things." So did he willfully, like, become the leaper? He he willfully leapt. I don't think he planned on it going the way it went. Yeah. If, if I remember correctly, things went wrong, and they couldn't get him back. Every time they yeah. would try, he would go somewhere else. Yeah. So an outside force was pushing him to leap. 
and they just said, well, this is what it needs to be. You know, yeah. this is what you're doing. We'll try to get you back, but something out, something bigger than us, fate, whatever, yeah. God, whatever you want to call it, is forcing you to go to these places. Mm-hmm. And Sam is just like, I'm I'm a willing traveler. And they do address that in the final episode of the show. It's a, it's, it's just, a, I just love the show. I just, I love, love the way they do it. One of the things I really like about the show, and it makes it really unique, is that they were able to create a show that is essentially, almost every episode is a bottle episode mm-hmm. where it is just those characters in that, yeah. in that storyline. Once that story's done, you never see any of them again. But it also is, a completed series because of Sam and Al's relationship throughout and how like their twists and turns as they go through things together. But like, I also think it's interesting that they did try and tackle bigger issues. Yeah. That was a big part of the show. Um, in season one, they tackled uh, definitely uh, race, race, racial issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an episode, I think it was one of the episodes I mentioned to you was, it might have been called The Color of Truth. That might have been the episode where Sam leaps into leaps into a black man in the South in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And the episode opens with Sam standing, you know, in a in a, in a diner. Mm-hmm. And he's in front of a stool in the diner. And he just sits down. He's like, oh, right. I'm going to sit down. And everyone's looking at him like he's crazy. And then he looks up in the mirror and sees that he's, he's a black man. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I guess this is a problem. But the whole episode deals with racial tensions and the KKK and how... Sam gets through to this old white lady that, like, you know, we're not that different. We're people, and it's... Oh, so is that the episode where he, um, he is the driver? Yeah, he's for the driver. older... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a little Drive Miss Daisy action. Yeah, a little Drive Miss yep. Daisy action. Um, yeah, he sa- and then he ends up saving her life because she gets hurt, yes. and she starts to see things from his perspective. And, and there's there are hints where she had always seen it that way, but she was also a product of her world and was like, well, this is the way it is. Aren't we all? Yes, but then she was willing to change, and she did. And that was one of the... They, they tangled race a few times. Yes. Uh, that was always... That was a hot-button topic that they were able to go after. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one episode literally called... The title of the episode was Raped, was the title of the episode. Yeah. Uh, where Sam leapt into a young woman who was raped. And... It actually it's, reminds me a lot of the Brock Turner case that happened recently. Mm. That dirtbag human being. Um, he got completely exonerated. Like, not exonerated, but he was like, you're going to jail for six months. Oh, only three. We don't want to hurt you because yeah. you're a good athlete. He made a mistake. He made a mistake. Yeah. And the whole episode deals with, like, Sam leapt into this, this young lady, and the whole episode deals, it's the same deal. It's a prominent guy in town and a prominent mm-hmm. family who gets protected. And... They're going to go to trial, like Sam and Al are pushing to trial because, like, we need to help save, we need to help this this young lady. Yeah. And at one point in the episode, Sam's like, I can't go on the stand and say what happened because it didn't happen to me. I, I can't. It's like, not my story. It won't be my story. And they end up having this great moment where they were able to, the young lady from, from the future, where she's in the leaping room, yeah. they're able to get her to reveal what happened. And she st- she basically takes over for Sam and tells what happened. So it also, wow. I was a little worried. I remember, I remember that episode going, oh, is it going to be, is it going to be white knighting? Is he going to come in and save her? And to a degree it is, but it's also, she was given the agency to say what happened to her and to take back the power from it. Yeah. So they dealt with that. And then the episode does end with that guy coming back uh, it's Sam is still there, and he tries to rape her again. But now it's Sam, and he knocks him out. So that happened. But but it's also a little satisfying. Oh yeah, it was very satisfying. Because <laughs> the thing that also, uh, whenever Sam leaps into people, he he still remembers all of the things that he can do. 
he he like knows taekwondo and yeah. kung fu and all that stuff because he's just a genius so he does everything so in the middle of it he's like oh i know how to do this all these awesome stuff so he does those things throughout the entire show in yes. people that normally wouldn't do those things because he knows how to do it he can carry it through right one of the things i really like about when they did tackle kind of these bigger issues is that they seem to be as cognizant as possible as a show from the late 80s mm-hmm. early 90s can be about being gentle about an issue mm-hmm. and taking care of of the members included in it and i think that a lot of times especially lately people i feel like kind of shit on everything mm-hmm. from the past like, well, why didn't, you know, it's super racist or it's super sexist and blah, blah, blah. And that is oftentimes true. Mm-hmm. But also, they didn't know what we know now. They didn't do the things in the same way we do now. And yeah. so to criticize for not being completely devoid of white knighting in that mm-hmm. episode, for instance, is kind of, I don't know, I guess disingenuous is it's, kind of how I feel yeah, about it it's, now. It's not, it's, it's helpful to look at it as... Oh, okay. Yeah, this th- there are some problematic things. Absolutely, in Quantum Leap, without question. Yeah. It was a show about a white man walking around saving the world. Like, let's be honest about that. Yeah. But, yeah, like you said, th- this show was equipped with the knowledge that it had at the time to do the best it could at the right. time. And I think for that, it did a great job. I agree. Could it have been better? Oh, of course it could have. But it doesn't have 20-plus years of of what we've been right. through yes. to go back to that. Like, if a show came out today that was doing the same things... Then it's icky then and it's gross. Diff- yeah, then it's, it's like, okay, right. you really got to look at what you're doing. You're in tone the world deaf. You're in. Exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. You're being very tone deaf. Whereas that, I feel like, was really trying to push people to think differently. It was. And be better people. That's what. That's how I looked at it, too. Like, even the, there was an episode, I'm not even comfortable saying the word that they use in the episode. Um, uh, Sam leapt into a young a man with Down syndrome. Yeah. And, oh, right. and they used the R word. Yes. They used the R word because that was the word they used at the time. It didn't Good. have as negative. It didn't have a super. It still had a negative connotation, but not the way it, it is now. But it wasn't until I think the 2000s. Yeah. Really early two thousand, like late 1990s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. that people were like, "Don't say that word to mean stupid." Yeah, exactly. That's not what it. Stop. Yeah, and they use it in the episode. Um, yeah. In reference to the character, but the whole episode is all about how just because this person is different doesn't mean they they can't be a part of society and they can't offer what they can offer. And it, right. it's it's about uplifting people, not pushing. It's it's pu- not punching down. And yeah. that's And I think that that's criticizing it for making the mistakes it made with the lens of what where we are today isn't mm-hmm. fair. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah, but yeah, there's things you can criticize absolutely. I mean, but. It's, it's 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 a product of its time, but I think it was definitely – it had an eye to the future, whereas a lot Agreed. of shows at its time didn't necessarily right. have that eye. Um, so that's another thing I loved about it too is that it, it was very forward-thinking, and it, it, it put you it, – it gave you perspectives to think about and different perspectives to think about. Yes, and it's one of, that's one of the things I liked a lot about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you – I don't know if I want to spoil, but I want to kind of talk about the series finale a little bit. Well, I mean, I guess we should. Yeah, I mean the show's been on, it's been off the air. Yeah, it's for not really a almost spoiler thirty alert. years. Yeah, nineteen ninety two is when it came off the air. So, although I will tell you that um, last week I was like looking through my Google and you know like they give you like kind of top trending things or whatever. And yeah. It was like Quantum Leap, and I was like, what? Some K-pop band that apparently is amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt it, but I haven't heard them put out an album called Quantum Leap. Oh, and so like. 
all of these people were like there was an article about how all of these people were like what quantum leap in my google feed yeah and like clicking on it being like are they rebooting it and then they're like f in k-pop oh man (laughs) so So, yeah we got faked out yeah not cool but a reboot um i'm still gonna check out the album (laughs) i mean i I might as well. I did put it in my Spotify. I'm going to check it out. Because <laughs> they may sample the show. Who knows? Um, that, that would be amazing. That would be amazing if they sampled the theme song. Because it would be pretty great. Um, Finale. So, all right. So to go, like, season five is not great. Um, and I think it's because the show the show wasn't getting great ratings, which is unfortunate because it was a good show. But season five tried to make it more exciting and more of a grab for viewers. Yeah. So they did more brushes with history. Oh, I didn't mention those before. Brushes with history is when Sam would have a moment with something historic and he would, because of his presence, he made something happen. So a couple of examples, there's one episode where he leaps into a, a priest and he's boxing. He's like a boxing coach with a priest. And there's a very, very Italian kid who goes, Sam says something and he goes, oh, it's pretty good. And then he closes his locker and it says S. Stallone. So like, <laughs> so like, oh, Sam said to him, oh, I saw this movie once where uh, the boxer was training by punching a bunch of sides of beef, which is what he does in Rocky. Yes. Um, so Sam says that and then Sylvester <laughs> Stallone goes, oh, so it's cool and closes the locker and it says S. Stallone. So you're like, oh, so Sam influenced Rocky, to, influenced Stallone to do that. He had one where he was in a spooky story and there was a kid. And the kid turned out to be Stephen King, and he able he gave Stephen King an idea for a story. <laughs> uh, he was, <laughs> I think, in season one, he leapt into someone, and there was a kid with a guitar with glasses who kept going. He was sitting next to a pig. He was a veterinarian. Sam was a veterinarian uh, at a zoo, at a farm, and there was a kid who was going playing guitar, going piggy suey, piggy suey, like singing a song. And at one point, Sam looks at him and goes, "Hey, try Peggy Sue." And the kid goes, "Peggy Sue." Big <laughs> so it was Buddy Holly. Like they have tons of those throughout the show. Yeah. In the earlier seasons, they were small moments, but then season five tried to make them the crux of the show. The John Wilkes Booth episode is a three is a two part episode, which is actually really good. To be fair, it's really fun. Uh, it's pretty intense. Where Sam leaps into Lee Harvey Oswald and like is gearing, and and Al's like, "You're not. I think you're here to prevent the assassination, but you might not be." And like that's the whole deal. He's like. What the and then Sam because because it's fun to make things go wrong. He and Lee Harvey Oswald's leaping minds kind of meld, so like you can't tell where Sam ends and Lee Harvey Oswald begins. And eventually the episode ends. I'm gonna get to the finale in a second, I promise. Um, <laughs> the episode ends with Sam leaping out of Lee Harvey Oswald while he's about to pull the trigger. Lee Harvey Oswald pulls the trigger. Sam leaps into a Secret Service agent, remembered where he was, and jumps on top of the car. And then it cuts to the end of the episode, and Sam's, like, all sad, and Al comes up, and he's like, what's the matter? He goes, well, I failed. You know, the president still died. And he goes, you weren't here to save him. You were here to save her. And they point at Jackie. So, like, the idea yep. was she died originally, too. That's, yes. th- th- so that was like, oh, okay, cool twist. So then the, he, he, he <laughs> leapt into Dr. Jo- Dr. Dr. Ruth at one point in season five. Like, he leapt into Elvis, or he leapt into Marilyn Monroe's bodyguard. Like, just too much history. Yeah. Um, but the final episode... Oh, there's also, sorry, uh, there's a three-episode arc in season five where Sam leaps into, like, three people associated with this one woman um, mm-hmm. that he ends up falling in love with and has a daughter with. That's an absolutely awesome three-episode arc. Three arc. Uh, it has, it's very good. Like, <laughs> I, I, if I can find season five, I'm going to blend it to you so you can just watch those three episodes. I love that you started this by saying episode, uh, season, season five. five is not good. But. And then you're like. 
However, yeah, these episodes are great, and these episodes are great. <laughs> season five also introduces the evil leaper, which I didn't like. That's a little too much. Um, but the three, the three episodes, it crossed a line. It did. For you. The evil leaper was too much. Quantum leap, too much. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, because no one else is talking about quantum leap but us. <laughs> season series finale they didn't know if it was going to be the series finale they were waiting to find out okay so, hold on yes because i want to pause you for two seconds because i feel like we should end with the series finale yes and i do want to talk about the two episode arc i think it's in season three oh, where yes. sam leaps into himself yes for, hot on the tails of mia so that's the next episode yes so sam leaps out of that character and leaps into himself in high school uh, and he realizes who he is, and he goes home. He also plays his own father in that episode, yes, uh, which is great. And uh, it's and he it's his own, like um, it's it's the first two story arc, I think. I think so, yeah. And the whole first episode, it, he's playing sixteen year old him. Yeah, yeah, he's playing sixteen year old him. He's back at home. He's doing chores. He's going to school, and he starts to do the same thing that Al was doing in the previous episode, which was. I can fix things. Yeah. I'm home. I don't have to leave. Mm-hmm. And Al is the one now going, you can't do that. Yeah. Hey, like, remember, you d- remember yeah, last season you when you didn't let me get my wife? Um, <laughs> so, like, Sam starts doing things that start to upset everybody. Like, he tries to change his father's diet because his father's going to die of a heart attack in a few years. So he's like, he switches out the coffee for decaf and he's like, making him eat oatmeal, and his father's like, no, I just want <laughs> eggs and bacon because that's what I do. And he's like, no, but that's going to kill you. You need to get exercise. I yeah. work in the field every day. I'm a farmer. He's like, yeah, yeah. but you need cardiovascular exercise. Uh, he hides his cigarettes and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then his little sister, Sam, starts to talk about the Beatles as one of his favorite bands. Uh, she loves the Beatles. Yeah. And he's like, well, they're going to break up. And she's like, what? The Beatles are going to break up. And he's telling her all these things, and he eventually sings uh, Imagine to her on the porch. Because he's like, well, John Lennon's going to write my favorite song. And then he sings Imagine. And Scott Bakula is actually a very good singer. Mm-hmm. He's a musical theater guy, which a lot yes. of people don't don't know about him either. And he's in a band. He's in a band, yeah. Yep. Yeah. They actually have made it a part of his character on NCIS New Orleans. Oh, very nice. Yes. Very cool. Because I do watch the show. I, in fact, watch all of the NCISs because I love weird things. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> um, I don't regret it. Uh, so Scott Bagula, uh, Sam is playing Imagine for his little sister. And the, the girl who plays his little sister is an amazing actor because in the moment that she's watching him play, she goes from smiling to, like, worried and then just starts crying hysterically. And, he, and she, he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, I don't want to believe you. Because you're, this is too good to be fake. Right. And if I believe you, because he's already also mentioned, because his brother, he has an older brother, Sam has an older brother, who yes. dies in Vietnam. Right. Um, so Sam has already mentioned that a couple times. So his little sister's like, I don't want to believe you, because if I believe you, Tommy's going to die. And that scares me. And that's when Sam kind of realizes, I, I can't. I have to just, I have to be... I have to let this go. Right. And Al just tells him at one point, he's like, look, you can't change the future. You can just enjoy the present. Mm-hmm. You're here with your family for right now. Just enjoy it. Just just yeah. be with them for this Thanksgiving. So he has Thanksgiving dinner with his family, and it's really nice, and you see them all having a good time together. Yeah. And it's cute because he's, like, hugging his mom, and she's yeah. kind of like, what? But, oh, I like it. Yeah, he's yeah, – <laughs> it's, it's – I think for for me, like it's always one of those things. Like I, someone has asked that question: if you could go back in time and do it all over again with the information you have, mm-hmm. would you do it? And I'm always like, yeah, because you get moments you never thought you could have back. Like, right. I would definitely take that. Um, but the whole reason Sam was there was to win a basketball game. Right. Uh, so he ends up winning the basketball game, and he still tries to change the future. And he says to his brother, "If we win the game, 
on April 7th or whatever the day is that his brother dies in Vietnam. He's like, if I win on that day, you climb into a you climb into a foxhole and you never get out. You stay. You don't you don't do anything on that yep. day. And his brother goes, hey, if you if you win, I'll climb into the deepest bunker in all of Vietnam and I'll do it. So Sam wins, and Al checks his thing and just kind of shakes his head and goes, no, he he still dies. So Sam yells to his brother as he's leaping. He leaps into a guy in his brother's company in Vietnam. Yes. And winds up going through being this guy whose name is Magic is the nickname of the guy because yep. he's he's just got a sixth sense about things, which is interesting. Because then Sam leaps into him and knows certain things. They uncover a traitor in the midst of the um, uh, someone who was a, a Vietnamese woman who was giving false giving the information to the Viet Cong so that they would attack. Right. Sam uncovers that it was actually played by Tia Carrere from Wayne's World, which was awesome. Um, I loved her. She was, yeah. And she was... She I mean, I still, I'm sure I, I too. would also still love her. Yeah. I just haven't seen her and stuff lately. Yeah, I haven't either. I wonder what happened. I'm going to Google I mean, it later. Yeah, I wonder what she's doing. <laughs> I, hope, I hope she's well. Tia, what are you up Tia, to, girl? what's going on? <laughs> we miss you. Um, so it ends up that Sam ends up saving his brother's life. And that's that ends up what he was there to do. Um, saved his brother's life. Unfortunately, uh, oh, this is another cool tie-in in this episode. I just remembered. Uh, there's a photographer there, a sexy lady photographer that everyone's got a crush on. Um, Dear listener, I really <laughs> wish that at this moment in my life that had been a video because Mike did the most ridiculous, sexy, blonde photographer lady dance, and it was very awesome. There was lots of, like, aggressive arm wiggling yeah. and shoulder action, and I wish that you could have been here for it. It was pretty great. Anywho. Sexy photographer Ask me lady. and I'll show it to you. If you ever see me, say, yes. show me the sexy photographer dance. And I'll go, oh, I'll do it. Um, so she was there with the, the company to take photographs. And there was a mission that even that actually was one of their missions was to go save these three POWs in Vietnam who were being transported. So that was something they were trying to do. Al ends up telling Sam what he can do to save his brother and lets the POWs go. And then you find then out you later. Find out the, lady, the woman gets killed. Uh, but her k- film gets developed, and one of the pictures is of one of the POWs, who is Al. Uh. And it's like, Al ends up giving up that spot so that Sam could save his brother. Yes. Which is, I mean, you're like, oh, you couldn't be more selfless in that moment. Because right. you could have been saved, but you weren't. But also, that ties back in, because if he had come home sooner, yeah, he might have had Beth. Yeah. So, like, pff, mind yeah. blown. Yeah, it, it's such a... It, so good. So then at the, at the very end of the episode, uh, Sam's brother, you know, is they're like, they're all having a drink, you know, toasting the, the photographer who passed away, looking at her, her, photogra- her photographs, and the one of Al wins her awards. It wins her a Pulitzer after her death. And Sam's brother comes over to Sam, who at this point is still not Sam, and just says, couldn't do it without you, little brother. And then he calls him little brother in the whole previous episode, and Sam just looks at him and leaps. So th- that's like other moments like that happen in the show where you think whoever is leaping Sam around is giving him things every now and then. Yeah. Like having him leap back home was a gift. Right. And then he leaps into another tangential family near his own family in season four, I think. So yeah, th- that's a great two-episode arc. It's yeah. so emotional. I just really wanted to get that in there. Yeah, yeah. Because it did tie in so much for me with the MIA episode yeah. and like... Those are the episodes that I really, like, make you feel and care for those Mm -hmm. characters. And since everybody else changes so frequently, like, you need to have those. Yeah. You need to care deeply for these characters. Yeah, you need to care for Sam and Al. And they do a great job throughout the entire series of giving you reasons to care about these these two people. Um, So, series finale. Here we are. Dun, dun, dun. 
Al, Sam leaps into a bar and he walks in and he sits down and there's a bartender. I'm so sorry. All I could think of was ouch. And I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be great. Sam leaps into a bar. Ouch. ouch. End, so of, end of series. Yeah. <laughs> Credits roll. <laughs> that would be a horrible but hilarious ending to a show. One, would, one could argue that it would be a more pleasing ending than what people got. Yes. 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 A lot of people would feel <laughs> that way. I actually don't. I think I love the ending for a couple of reasons. We'll get to that. Excellent. So Sam comes into this bar and he sits down and the, there's a bartender who's played by actor Bruce McGill. Bruce McGill is also in the first episode of the show as like a general. So it's important that he's, that that's important just because he bookends the journey. Great. Um, so he's there. He gives Sam a drink and Sam looks in the mirror and he sees his own face. Like, and he's never done that. It's never been just Scott no. Bakula looking back at him. So <laughs> he's, he's like, what the hell's going on? Um, as he's in the bar, it's in a mining town, like a Pennsylvania mining town. Um, people are coming and going. Uh, there's a guy named Gushy there, and Gushy is the name of one of the people that is helping Sam leap. Um, the bartender's name is Al. Um, so there's lots of weird connections to yeah. Sam's life. Al and the people of Project Quantum Leap can't find Sam. Because like normally when Sam leaps in, they have a waiting room, and that's where the body of the person that Sam leapt right. into goes. The waiting room is empty. And they're like, that means Sam is nowhere. Like, what's going on? They eventually are able to track him down. Al gets there. And um, there's a, a guy named Stoppa who's in the bar that's talking to Sam the whole time. And at one point, it's revealed that Al had an uncle named Stoppa who died in a mine years before. And at that point, the guy named Stoppa leaps. And he disappears. And Sam's like, very con- Sam's very confused. So Sam sits down with Al, the bartender. Al, the bartender, kind of, he looks at Al, Sam looks at him and goes, you're the one who's doing this, aren't you? So essentially now we're, he's like, are you God? And he doesn't answer. He goes, well, some people call me that. I don't really think of myself as God. He's like, are you doing this to me? And he's like, I'm not doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. And Sam's like, what do you mean? He's like, if you really wanted to stop and stop doing what you're doing, you could. You could go home. But you would no longer be doing the things you're doing. And he kind of essentially gives Sam a choice. Mm-hmm. Says to him, you can go home or you can keep going. And he's like, it's going to get harder. Like, it's not going to be easy if you keep going. But you are, I think at one point he says, like, God bless you, Sam, or something like that. Yeah. And Sam makes the decision to keep going. But he says to Al, he's like, the new, Al the bartender, where can I, can I do something first? And Al says, yes. Sam leaps back to the end of season two, MIA. Mm-hmm. Leaps back into that episode. Al's wife is dancing with nobody because Al's not there at the moment. Yeah. Or he is there, but we can't see him. Right. Sam walks in. She freaks out because Sam basically leaps into her house, and he and he's Sam. He's not. Right. And he, he goes, "Don't please don't be scared. I'm a friend of your husband, Al. Al's coming home. You should wait for him." So Sam tells her now. He goes back to that moment, tells her to wait, and like she starts crying and. The camera zooms in on a picture of Al that was on the mantle. The picture leaps. So Al's picture leaps. And then when it resumes, it's a picture of Al and Beth and their whole family in a family shot. And the camera pulls back. So they ended up having a family. Al got the life that he never thought he would have. And then a black black screen that just says, Sam Beckett never returned home. And that's the end of the series. What? Super sad. Super sad. 
I have all of these feelings. I need to borrow. Yeah, I, I found it. I found it. So I will definitely. Yeah, you can watch it because it's it's great. Even though I just told oh. you, seeing it, you're like. Oh no, I don't care. Yeah. I are you one of those people that like gets upset about spoilers? Nope, I don't care. The uh, only time I ever care is if it's like a whodunit. Sure. Because I'm I like, and even then I'm like, eh. It, it, I don't. I would rather not have things spoil for me. But if they do, it doesn't diminish my enjoyment of it. Yeah. Unless you know, unless it's a big surprise thing. Yeah. Like don't spoil that stuff. But yeah, I knew certain I, things that were going to happen going into Avengers Endgame, for example. I knew certain things were going to happen. I still haven't seen it. Oh, I won't spoil I know, anything. I, yeah. I know almost, but like, I know almost nothing. Mm-hmm. The only reason that I know um, that spoiler alert, listener. Boom. That Tony Stark dies mm-hmm. is because somebody last week put a meme up. Yeah. And it was like something about like, I don't know, it was like some take on Deadpool and yeah. Tony Stark. It was some dump, something. I don't even remember it, but I was like, oh, guess he didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew that was, I knew that going in. I knew that he wasn't going to make it. Like no one spoiled it, but then like it did get spoiled for me at some point. And I was like, okay, I still know it's going to happen, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see how it happens. Yes. So yeah, I don't get upset about spoilers uh, unless, again, yeah, like a whodunit. I don't want yeah. that spoiler for me. Well, because if you, if the whole purpose of the thing is, is like it's a mystery, and yeah. like the end is the un- unveiling yeah. of the whole reason you're there. Yeah. That I'm like, hey, really? Or, or if it's such a surprise that like you would take away the, it would genuinely take away someone's enjoyment. Like yeah. I saw. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Mm-hmm. At the end of part one, I haven't seen it. At the end of part one, there there's a hashtag called "Keep the Secrets." It's hashtag Keep the Secrets because of something that happens. They don't want oh, people talking that. about it. And I was like, no, I wouldn't spoil this for anybody because yeah. it was so much fun to have that happen for us. So yeah. taking that away from someone wouldn't be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So some things like that I would never spoil. But yeah, so that's how the series ends. So Sam oh. never leaves home. It, it's sad because you know you, Sam has done all these wonderful things. But I also love it because I love the idea of a selfless hero. I love the idea that right. Sam is like, I'm going to keep going. And so he never returned home, but he's still, I like to think he's still out there, you know, in the world of the yes. show. He's still out there fixing people's lives and mm-hmm. creating and fixing things. Yes. Al's not with him anymore. He has someone else with him. Right. Um, but he's out there still doing it. And I think that's really beautiful, but also really sad. So that's why I yeah. didn't hate the ending. Okay. There was another ending that recently got found that they filmed another part, but they didn't air it, which I'm glad because it wasn't as good. Yeah. Um, and it was like Al and I think his wife uh, together, and Al was Al was actively looking for Sam, and like, yep. they were like, "I think we're gonna find him this time." Like it was sort of like this idea of I think the idea was to maybe continue the show if right. they had gone on. Yeah. Because I think the next season was gonna be about them trying to find him. Oh, um, got I it. I think that was the plan if yep. they, if they had a next season, but they never did. See. That kind of seems like an awesome ending when you tell it. I th- and I think it worked. And But if you go to the internet, people hated it. Oh, people hated it, yeah. Like, I'm talking like the end of Lost level of hatred. <laughs> and I don't get it. I don't get it either because I think it, it gave an ending. It gave the ending that it, it's not a surprise. Like, yeah. s- Sam... Continues to be who he is. Sam, conti- yeah, he he didn't change who he was. In fact, mm-hmm. he went further into who he was, and he went further right. into that sacrifice. It's so much so that he sacrificed his own relationship with his best friend. Because if you think about it, Al never left with Sam, and that's in the way history went. Right. Al came home, and he and his wife started their family. So he never joined Project Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he might have, because he was in the military. I think they would have connected them if they'd continued, but yeah. the idea that he was sacrificed everything for his, for those around him just really feeds the character. Yeah. Yes, we want Sam to have a happy ending, but 
I like to think that he did. Because I haven't seen the episode in my head when you were talking about the bartender, Al. Um, I just have Ted Danson in my oh, head. Oh, God, it would have been great uh, if it was Ted Danson. <laughs> just because he's my favorite. What a crossover opportunity. Have right. him leap into Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, that would have been amazing. Not enough crossovers from 80s shows, nope. 80s and 90s shows, because they were both on at the same time. That would have mm-hmm. been a cool crossover. Yep. <laughs> it would have been amazing. I, uh, who would you have wanted him to cross over into? Oh, good What Lord. character? I think having him leap into Sam, uh, into Sam Malone would have been interesting. Yeah. Because it would have been the same name. He would have been Sam <laughs> leaping into Sam. Um, but, like, you know, because Sam is a very different personality, it would have been interesting to see him play that world. Yep. Or him leaping into Cliff would always be fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I feel like, uh, for me, I would want him to leap into Carla. Oh, that would be really fun. Just because that would be incredible. That would be great. But I would also want to see that show. They would have to make sure that because it would be TV, split time so that Rhea Perlman also has to act like Sam Beck, Sam Beckett. Like that would be yes. fun to see Rhea Perlman being like super nice instead of <laughs> Carla who's like really, really rough. Like just yeah. have it be the opposite. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> oh, this is terrible. But like I would love it if like. Sam as Carla like got on birth control and like dated better men. That would be like, amazing. Like like as someone who has terrible taste in men, I would love it if somebody would like leap into my body and like find me somebody who like isn't trash. So like I want that for Carla too. Yeah, we all want that for Carla. She deserves it. <laughs> she does. I think she'd get be a lot nicer she if like be. she had a nice guy. Yeah. True. Very true. <laughs> It's the most ridiculous sentence I've ever said. Yeah. <laughs> if only Carla had a nice guy in her life, everything would have been fine. She probably wouldn't hate everybody as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been rewatching Cheers just because it's on Netflix. And, yes. And same. there's, uh, like we were talking about earlier, there are some things in the show you're like, ooh, that doesn't age well. Yep. But there are some things that really do age well. And there's the, the relationships of those characters are so well done. Yeah. I love that show and actually the reason that i started rewatching it is because the good place is coming back oh, yeah. with its last season soon mm-hmm. and i think that the and i was like oh my gosh has anybody been in more perfect pilots than ted danson yeah because the good place and cheers are both incredible pilot episodes yeah, they really are yeah i gotta go back and watch the good place one I'm going to rewatch the first three seasons just because they'll it's be fun. so awesome. Oh, I love The Good Place. And what they do, like, because I've now rewatched the series like three or four times. Mm-hmm. Mike Sure, it feels like, has made television for my soul and my comedic sense of humor. I just, I love, Parks and Rec is my favorite sitcom of all yeah. time. The Good Place is like aggressively beating down the door for mm-hmm. the number two spot because I really just love... Really silly, but also super smart humor. And I like people who are likable. Yeah, that's even even though they're they're bad people. They're yeah. like like uh, Kristen Bell's character in The Good Place. She's super likable. Yeah. And and I love. I also love for me. Like I I agree with everything you just said. Um, I love that the things matter to people. It's not just like. It's silly, yes. stupid things, but the silly, stupid things have importance. Yes. And I think that's so important. So mm-hmm. seeing characters care about the stupid things make it make them make me care about them. Yes. I mean, the whole first part of Parks and Rec is she wants to not have a pit be a pit anymore. Yeah. Like, you can't get 
kind of a more ridiculous thing to care about than like a big hole. I'm really glad also in, in Parks and Rec that Les, that Leslie Nope was not incompetent at her job and I was afraid they were going to go that route because that's what The Office did with Michael Scott which was funny for that character but yes. like I loved that she was really good at her job really energetic and like the stupid things that she would do came from her love of what she was doing yes. and I loved that well and if you go back and rewatch that series people's gripe with season one mm-hmm. is uh, well they have lots of gripes and, and a lot of them are very very valid but for me the difference between season one and season two, which is really when it really kind of hits its stride and gets, and then like season three really like is like boom, mm-hmm. this is the show. But that, those episodes, the only difference that they make is that other people start believing that Leslie can accomplish whatever she says that she's going to accomplish. That's literally the only turn. Oh wow! Is how other people treat her going out and doing her job. Okay, cool. And then they drop some, like, dumb stuff along the way. Like, in the first season, she was, like, a hoarder. And it was this, like, weird storyline. They, like, dropped it. And, yeah. Because you didn't need it. it was, no. It was a dumb thing that, like, didn't fly. But, yeah. That's the only change that they made, is that everybody else believed that Leslie could accomplish everything, just like Leslie believed she could. That's amazing. Yeah. We've gotten very, very far off track. But I'm it was not a good mad talk. at no, it. No, neither am I. I'm happy with it. Uh, thank you so very much again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm going to bring you some Quantum Leap Season 5. Hells yeah. So, Mike, we are now at the time where I give you things that I think you might love back. All right. So, first up, um, might I suggest that you check out Tom Stoppard's Arcadia. Oh. Do you know it already? I've never read it, but I've it's been in my like it's it's come into my sphere of influence so many times. It is one of my personal favorite plays of all time. Mm-hmm. It takes place in um uh, like 1802 and then 1809, I think it is, and then um in the present day, which in this case is 1993, mm-hmm. and it all takes place in the same house. Um, but the people who are in the present day house are researching what happened in the 180209 error and so you get to see back and forth what is going on in this household fun and it's beautifully crafted tom stoppard is a genius writer and it also deals a lot with um the ideas of math and physics and how they represent themselves in our world and how beauty is in, interwoven with sciences and stuff like that and i think that you would really really enjoy it cool I'm down. Yay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) And then for music, Mm -hmm. I was going to give you Dawes as the band uh, because they're really great. They put on an amazing live show. They're Mm -hmm. really fun. Um, But I decided when we were talking to throw an audible. Oh. What? And I now want to give you Matt Nathanson. Okay. Because Matt Nathanson is a really fun, lively performer. But a lot of his music, his most peppy, upbeat, poppy-sounding songs are also his, like, saddest lyrics. Oh. So, like, he's, like, this song that's like, ba-ba-ba-bow, is like, you left me and I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. You left me and I'm sad right now. Exactly. Nice. And all of his, like, slower songs are, like, 
still sad, okay. but just like a little happier. All right. Um, so he does this really cool thing where he like kind of juxtaposes the uh, vibe of the the musical sounds with his lyrics, and they're okay. kind of juxtaposed together. Did he do something with Ingrid Michaelson? Not that I know of, okay. but she is a goddess. And I, can, I, love I for her. some reason I'm seeing their names together in my head. They should be. All right. I want them. to. Well, maybe we just created that. Uh, hell's yeah. That'd good, be amazing. Good job, us. All right. Is there a particular <laughs> album, or just like listen to his music? Because mm, uh, I can just Apple Music him and just listen to his music. Yeah, I would like. Yeah, I think that you should experience. I think that you would instead of just a specific album. I think you would just enjoy kind of experiencing the, the gamut of okay. his music. Cool. Um, but Faster is one of my favorite songs. Faster. And Faster and Made. M-A-I-D. I'm going to type that real quick. Is a really beautiful and gut-wrenching song um, that I really connect to and is one of my Matt favorites. Matt Nathanson? Yes. Cool. And then, last but certainly not least, because of your love of Quantum Leap, mm. I give you Joss Wheaton's Dollhouse. Okay. Have you ever watched it? No. So, but I just, I've watched uh, Firefly. Firefly is one of my all-time That's also Joss Whedon, right? Yes. Okay. Firefly came before. Mm-hmm. And Dollhouse came uh, pretty closely after. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was uh, 2009 and 2010. It was 14 episodes, two seasons. I can do that in a day. And oh, it's <laughs> amazing. I love it so much. It had mixed reviews from people, mm-hmm. but uh, the premise of it is uh, Elijah Dushku, uh, who played the backup Buffy. Yeah. Um, I don't remember her character's name on that show. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but so uh, she is... Um, the Dollhouse is a series of um, programmed people who are hired out um, for various and sundry things. Mm-hmm. So, like, some are to be dates at high-end events. Some are uh, assassins. Some are maids or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some are spies. So they go out on these all of these missions and stuff. But it's the story of her awakening mm-hmm. and, re- and, like, kind of, becoming deprogrammed and realizing that like oh i'm a person that has my own agency i can decide for myself what i want to oh, do wow. and the cast is really wonderful it's a lot of people who play in a lot of joss wheaton's mm-hmm. uh films and movies and it just is really a cool concept that i really love how they executed that i don't think much like firefly they gave enough time to and yeah. enough leeway to and it's Really cool and interesting. Alan Tudyk, who I love from mm. everything he yeah, does. Yeah, everything he does is perfect. Uh, he comes in in season two and uh, plays such a different character from Wash, who Wash is one of my dream men. <laughs> but he plays a very different character from that, and that's super fun and interesting, too. I was so glad. I don't remember who it was, but the person who said his name out loud to me the first time. Because <laughs> I never, I always said it was Tudyuk, and I never, <laughs> I just never spoke it. And then said Alan Tudyk, and I was like, yeah, that's him. Not Alan <laughs> Tudyuk. <laughs> I read an article once where uh, it talked about how if you are someone who uh, mispronounces words often, it's sign- a sign that you are a great reader and really intelligent because most people, when they read something, they're not saying it out loud. And so if you read a bunch of big words, you have a great vocabulary, but you don't. But you can mispronounce it. Oh, okay. So I'll it's take actually that. a mark of intelligence. Boom. <laughs> take that, world. So, I'm smart. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate having you, and you're wonderful. You're wonderful.
I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. And that's our podcast with Mike. So I hope that you loved it. Um, just really quickly, a few uh, notes. So first of all, um, Mike said something about um, Inker Michelson doing a duet with Matt Nathanson. And the answer is yes, that did happen. Um, they duetted on Loud. Um, I only could find live versions of it, but uh, his studio version is on the 1999 album Still Waiting for Spring. Also, I want to apologize for all of my Buffy fans out there. Uh, Elijah Dushku's character was named Faith, and she was a slayer. I, um, full disclosure, have not watched Buffy. Uh, I've, that's not true. I've watched the first few seasons of Buffy. However, I... <laughs> Um, I stopped the episode before Willow and Oz break up. So in my universe, Willow and Oz are still together because that's something that makes sense in my life. Anywho, so those are my little correction uh, section for today's episode. Also, I want to thank Rudy Sims for the use of his amazing song, Senor Moth. And... I want to thank Kate Hardley for making super cool sound engineering awesomeness on the ta- on the track at the top of the episode. I hope that you're all doing great and that if you like this, please subscribe and feel free to write a review and give a uh, five stars. I would really appreciate it. Thanks so much. See you soon.